if you could have a personal makeover, what would you change? Would you have liposuction or maybe laser eye surgery, a nose job, a chin job, a facelift? Would you get hair plugs? If you could have a makeover, what would you change? For the past few weeks, we've been in this message series, Extreme Makeover Soul Edition. And we've talked about some of the changes that happen in our lives as we choose to live for Jesus. We've seen that when we come to Jesus, he makes us a brand new person. He recreates us from the inside out. We've seen that this transformation isn't just a superficial cosmetic change. No, we're changed at the heart level. There are changes that take place in our lives immediately when we come to Jesus. And there are changes that he works in our lives every day for the rest of our lives. Some of the changes are easy, some are more difficult, some are fast, some only happen over time. Some are major changes, some are minor changes. We've also realized over the course of this series that this makeover is not one that we can perform on ourselves. God is the one who performs this makeover. But we can partner with him by giving him permission, cooperating with what he's doing, and allowing the changes that he works in our lives to be expressed outwardly. And what are these changes that occur? Well, I think a good summary can be found in Galatians chapter 5. Starting in verse 22, it says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This is the makeover that he produces in our lives. He produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the qualities that God is building into the new you. And where were all of these qualities seen most fully? They were seen most fully in the person of Jesus Christ. So as these qualities develop more and more in our lives, we become more and more like Jesus. We become more Christ-like. And we've, we've seen all along throughout this series that God's desire is to make us like his son, to make us like Jesus. But that doesn't happen overnight. It's a lifelong process that we go through. And the beautiful thing is that God always has more for us every day. But there will come a day when his work is complete. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, Paul wrote, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you, okay, so this God who began this transforming work in your life, he will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So there will come a day when the transformation is finished. And what will happen on that day? Well, we read about it earlier in our worship celebration in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. It says that he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. And that's good news. Because if Jesus returns today, I don't want to be stuck with this body for all of eternity. Hey, I'm already making old man noises when I stand up and sit down. No, I don't want to be stuck with this. And if Jesus doesn't return for another thousand years, well, I don't want to be stuck with it then either, of course. No, when Jesus comes, these frail bodies, these mortal bodies that we now cope with, will be transformed into glorious ones. You know that one thing you'd want to change? You know that thing you thought of earlier? Well, it will be changed. In an instant, it will be changed. This makeover we're going to go through is not something you can attain at Curves or at the spa or through dieting or the hands of a plastic surgeon. This will be the most extreme makeover you'll ever get. It will be the end result that makes everything we go through now worth it. And it's only a makeover that God can perform in our lives. Now, will this makeover be for everyone? 
No, no, it won't. Now this makeover is reserved for those who are citizens of heaven. That's how Paul described it. And basically he's saying, if you want to experience a transformation then, you need to experience a transformation now. You've got to change your citizenship. You've got to become a citizen of heaven. You've got to decide during this lifetime where you're going to spend the next. You've got to become a citizen of heaven. But what is a citizen of heaven anyway? Well, those of us who have chosen to live for Jesus and have experienced the forgiveness and new life that he offers, we are citizens of heaven. Everyone is welcome to become a citizen of heaven, but only citizens of heaven will experience that final makeover then. Are you a citizen? If not, then you need to give this some serious consideration today. In fact, let's just pause right now and give you an opportunity to do that. If you're not a citizen of heaven right now, but you'd like to become one, then it's really quite simple. You choose to live for Christ. It's not always easy, but it's simple. You choose to live for Christ. That's how you become a citizen of heaven. That means that you seek to please him. It means that you read his word, the Bible, and you allow it to impact your life. It means that you allow him full access to your life and allow him to begin to change you. Basically, it means that your life becomes his life. You choose to live for him. And if you'd like to make that choice today, then you can pray something like this. You can pray, Jesus, I've been living for myself, but today I choose to live for you. I'm sorry for trying to live my life without you. I want to receive your gifts of forgiveness and eternal life today. And I want to place my trust in you to transform me into the person you meant for me to be. If you just prayed that, then congratulations. Your citizenship just changed. Sure, you may still hold citizenship here in Canada or wherever you may hold it, but your primary citizenship is now in heaven. And someday, you'll, you will be welcomed home there. And if you have made that decision today, then you should let somebody know about it here this morning. Okay, so as citizens of heaven, we have heaven as our final destination. That's where the makeover will be complete. But what do we do in the meantime? How do we make our way toward heaven now? Well, in that passage that we looked at earlier in Philippians chapter 3, Paul gave us a map. He told us how we get there from here. Starting at verse 13, he wrote that I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So what I want to do for the rest of our time here this morning is talk about that. How do we advance toward our final destination? How do we progress toward the completion of our makeover? How do we get there? How do I reach my final makeover? Well, Paul started that passage out saying, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past. So the first thing you need to do to reach your final destination is keep the past in the past. And this means a couple of things. First of all, your past failures, they're in the past. You don't have to live in bondage to them any longer. You can be set free from them. Don't allow the failures of the past to hinder your progress from here on out. And I know this is a major thing for many of us. We all have hurts. We all have those painful experiences that continue to haunt us. But you know what? We should learn from them, yes, but we should never allow them to prevent us from moving forward. We should never be bound by them. 
Jesus came to set us free from the failures of our past. And if you're struggling with something in your past, then you need to begin to pray about it and trust Jesus to set you free. That's how you can start to experience freedom. Now there may be other things you need to pursue as well uh, along the lines of counseling, but you need to start by praying and trusting Jesus to set you free. But you know, it's not just the failures that can bind us. For some, it's your past success. You may have accomplished some terrific things in your life, and really, you should be applauded for that. But don't rest there. Don't think you've arrived. Don't live in that moment of time. Those successes are in the past, and there's more ahead for you. And that's the second thing that Paul tells us. In uh, Going back to that passage in Philippians 3, he said, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. So the second thing is stay alert and aware. When I was a teenager, I did some stupid things. I know I'm the only one who ever did that, but I, I did some stupid things as a teenager. And I remember one occasion in particular when I was out driving with a friend of mine. It was dark, and we were exploring some of the back roads near Fredericton. We weren't really familiar with where we were. Uh, we were just young, just got our license, uh, just got my license, and I was, we were out exploring. Uh, but we were driving along, having a good time, just exploring. Well, we started to wonder just how dark it was outside. I mean, we were outside of the city. There were no street lights around. How dark was it? And so we just decided to find out. So as we were driving, I, I just momentarily, I switched off the headlights for a second, turned them back on. And there in front of us was a cement wall. It was actually one of the pillars under a train bridge, I think. Well, we had just enough time to swerve and we narrowly missed it. And I think you'd agree that was pretty stupid. We got to see how dark it was, but we almost died because of it. We had stopped looking forward and we were unaware of what was right in front of us and it almost meant disaster for us. You know what? There are all kinds of things that life will throw across your path that could mean disaster for you if you're not alert and aware. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. So you've got to stay alert and aware of what's happening in your, in your life. Be on your guard against any of the deceptive tricks of the devil. Paul told us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5 through 8, For you are all children of the light and of the day. If I'd only known that then. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. To stay alert and aware. Next, Paul says to press on. He said, I press on to reach the end of the race. So number three is press on toward the goal. In these verses, Paul paints a picture of a race. And he says that to finish the race, the runner needs to press on. That was true for marathon runners in his day, and it's still true in our day. The New York City Marathon was just held a few weeks ago. Some of you may have followed it on the news. The fastest runner this year was a Brazilian who finished in just under 2 hours, 10 minutes. But I think most of the people who finished the race took over 3 hours to do so, between 3 and 4 hours. Now that's a long race. And where do you think those marathon runners had to press on? 
Where do you think they really had to persevere? Did they have to press on at the very beginning? No, they were full of energy then. Pressing on is not an issue at the starting line. So did they need to press on when the finish line was in sight? No, they didn't really have to press on then either because they could see the end. They could see their goal. And that's more than enough to give them a second win and motivate them to cross the line. I've never heard of a marathon runner who dropped out just before crossing the finish line. And they don't drop out at the beginning either. They don't drop off at the beginning or the end. So where do they drop out? Well, they drop out someplace in the middle. When they start to ache, when they feel like they're falling behind, when the excitement that they had at the beginning is diminished, when the going gets tough, that's when they're tempted to just give up. Have you ever heard of Florence Chadwick? Florence was the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. Well, back in July of 1951, she attempted another swim. She attempted to swim from Catalina Island to the California coast. But this time, the challenge was not the distance. The challenge for her this time was the bone-chilling waters of the Pacific. And to complicate matters, on the very day that she chose to swim, a dense fog set in over the entire area, making it impossible for her to see land. But she set out anyway, and she swam, and she swam, and she swam until she couldn't swim anymore. And finally, after about 15 hours in the water, Chadwick gave up. She climbed into the boat that was accompanying her, only to discover that she was within a half a mile from her goal. She would later tell a reporter, look, I'm, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land, I might have made it. Well, she was pretty disappointed about what had happened that day. So not long afterwards, she attempted the feat again. And again, a fog set in so that she couldn't see the shore. But this time, this time, she made it. Why? What was the difference? Well, this time, she kept reminding herself that the land was there. She couldn't see it yet, but she knew she was getting closer. So she pressed on, and she achieved her goal. In fact, she broke the men's record by two hours that time. So when do you need to press on? When you're well into the race, and you're getting tired, and you can't see the finish line, but you know it's there, that's when you must press on. And when you can consistently do these first three things, when you leave the past in the past, when you look ahead at what's coming your way, and when you press on, even when you might feel like giving up, you will eventually finish the race and receive the prize. I was on the New York City Marathon website this week, and I watched a video that they have available on their site. Uh, they have a video there that, just, uh, that, that summarizes the marathon and I noticed that the video is called Inspiration. What is the inspiration? Where do the marathon runners find their inspiration? What, what is it that drives them? It's crossing the finish line and receiving the prize. It's getting that medal. That's why they run the race. It's to finish it and to receive the prize. So that's number four. Receive your reward in heaven when you cross the finish line. Now the marathon runners, they get bragging rights and they get a medal to hang around their necks. What is your reward? Well, we talked about it earlier. 
is when you will exchange your weak mortal bodies for glorious ones, like Christ's own. Remember we read that in Philippians chapter 3.21. He'll take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Now what that means, I don't really know. I can't exactly describe to you what your resurrected body will be like. Not even John, one of Jesus' closest friends, could do that. John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Okay, so we don't really know exactly what our resurrected bodies will be like. But we do know a little bit. We know that we will be like him. We know what we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. They're buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. That was from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. In his second letter to the church in Corinth, in, in chapter 5, he continued this discussion. And he said, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. He goes on and says, God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee he has given us his Holy Spirit. Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, you may have heard of her before, she herself is a quadriplegic, and she's talked about this resurrection of the body. Uh, she's even written a book called Heaven, Your Real Home, and in it she described the resurrected body this way. She wrote, One day no more bulging middles or, ba or balding tops, no varicose veins or crow's feet, no more cellulite or support hose, forget the thunder thighs and highway hips, just a quick leapfrog over the tombstone, and it's the body you've always dreamed of. Fit and trim, smooth and sleek. And that, my friends, is the extremist makeover. That's our hope. That's what we're aiming for. Can you imagine what a day that will be? Can you imagine what it will be like to have all of the troubles of life behind us and perfection before us? Can you imagine being freed from the limitations of these weak mortal bodies and receiving new glorious ones? Can you understand how it will all be worth it on that day? Well, for now, we can only imagine. We certainly can't describe it. But that promise of a future reward is enough to give us the focus and the courage and the perseverance to press on until we get there.